0: Welcome to the Bible Savvy Podcast, a weekly conversation on how to understand, enjoy, and apply God's Word. I'm your fill-in host, Eric Ferris, and I'm joined by Teaching Pastor Clayton Keenan and returning guest, Community Groups Pastor, Lindsay Jots. Yay! Hey. Celebratory noises! That's a long time. <laughs> it's been a while since we've done a celebratory Clayton noises. just looked at me as Yay. wondering if I had my sound, my sound effects panel hooked up, but it's, it's right here, but I wasn't ready to make celebratory Aww. noises for Lindsay. All right, so... So here's what, here's what happened a, a few weeks ago at church. Uh, a gentleman comes up to me and is talking to me about how much he enjoys the podcast. And he says to me, you know who I really like on the podcast? And I'm thinking, okay, well, it's not me, because that's a weird setup when you're talking to the person. So I'm like, he's either going to say, obviously, Clayton or Nikki. And, and he says, Jots, like Jots, that Jots girl. Di- <laughs> and I said, Lindsay Jots, our community groups pastor, Lindsay Jots? Yes, yes, yes. And then Lindsay happened to be standing across the church lobby, so I introduced him to Lindsay. So, Lindsay, you have a fan club.
1: Of b- have- one. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. I'll take it. Well, it's
0: how it starts. Child <laughs> starts is, that gotta how start somewhere. I'm so- into it. Thank you for joining us, Lindsay. Yeah. Clayton has a weird question for we us got today. A weird question. Nikki You're is ch- normally the one that asks weird questions to us, but, but we're, we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna do what we can. We're splitting Nikki's duties today because neither Clayton nor I are man enough to fully fill in for Nikki. No so one is. we're splitting we're splitting the job in two. So here's here's the question.
2: If you had five million dollars and you had to use it to open a small museum, what would you put in the museum? Hmm. Lindsay?
1: I would put, so I'm friends, I'm pretty good friends with a few of the Uh, Kids World pastors around here and they're always sharing the delightful things that kids put on response cards that are like either adorable or hilarious or super (laughs) random and so I would like create some sort of like interactive display of all of the hilarious things kids submit when they're at church like either talking about prayer requests or like hey life update and it's like blue car. And you're like, I don't have a context for that, but it would be interactive. and It would be awesome. It'd be hilarious. And all of my children's pastors out there, like know exactly what I'm talking they, about.
2: They are amazing responses. <laughs> when you see, see what kids think, you know mm-hmm. what I mean? But here's, here's a question, Lindsay, that I, that doesn't sound very expensive. I think this is a scheme to pocket five million dollars.
1: No way! No, because <laughs> yeah, would, how nice is this
2: building going to be? It would be
1: super nice, and it'd be super fun. It'd be for kids, and I'm thinking of like my kids. Because here's the thing: you could create whatever you create for a display. It is going to be destroyed by the hands of the children within ten minutes. It's mostly maintenance, maintenance costs. It's mostly maintenance and upkeep. Because come on, like I've got kids, you've got kids. It's. It's a mess.
0: Come Imagine this museum. I'm not going. You know why? Because it smells like B.O. and stinky feet. No, like every, it doesn't smell like,
1: like B.O. It smells like sticky old cotton it's, candy. Yeah, it's definitely it's sticky. Like, like, jam every hands. sticky place. It's, like every
0: children's museum.
1: It's jam hands
0: everywhere. Oh. <laughs> Ferris, what, what's your museum like? Jam hands. That's disgusting. <laughs> it's real though. All right, so my museum, I would take a million dollars to build the building. And then I would, my museum would be a display of four million dollars bills. <laughs> <laughs> you could, because you could break it down. It could be pennies. Dimes, could a, pe- a penny room. A penny room. A million dollar penny room. <laughs> a million dollar nickel room.
1: <laughs> just the sheer weight of like a million pennies. I think you would have to like, that would be mostly just the cost of the metal to like reinforce the I, I
0: feel like it'd be really underwhelming. Like, cause you're like, like, when you we're see. We're going to see a million no dollars. Way. How big of a room do you think a million dollars needs to have to be displayed?
1: Especially a million pennies. Uh, well, a million okay. dollars in So I guess what I'm pennies? thinking of is
0: like in a movie when they open up the, like, the, the briefcase that's
2: full of like a lot of money. Uh-huh. Uh, it's probably in hundreds or something crazy like that. Mm-hmm. But like it always feels like, oh, that's not that much. Like you carry that around in a briefcase. Like,
0: well. Somebody yeah. out there, could you please calculate the surface area of a million $1 000, 000 bills and email us at podcast at biblesavvy.com? Because if I'm going to build this museum, I need to know. We need to know. Square how big was this building could, like, to be? You could like
1: wallpaper the room with it or something. Just walk in. Okay, and
0: so right out. now, I know somebody's listening to this podcast that you really could right now measure a $1 bill and then, and then figure it out, out us in and tell us. How big of a building do I need to build to display?
1: <laughs> All those kids Four? that paid attention in geometry class yeah. are like, so, yes, my time is we'll come. With, we'll
0: go with Clayton's idea. We'll only display a million one dollar bills. We'll do the coins for the other, coins for the other ones. How, how much surface area yeah, for weights, one million can figure one dollar bills? Of that too. The weight of a All million right, dollars in uh, pennies. Yeah. The weight?
1: Of a million dollars in pennies? Could you imagine? That'd be so heavy.
0: Yeah. So we can that's not a out. good idea. Clayton, Clayton took my idea and made it dangerous. <laughs> Completely unrealistic, Clayton. That's
1: that's how Clayton is.
2: He just They're makes everything really uh, risky. <laughs> all right, Clayton, <laughs> it's
0: your silly question. Oh. What kind of museum would you build?
2: Uh, I think. <laughs> well, I can think of a ridiculous museum I've been to. Uh, the the museum I'd build would probably be. Uh, uh, I would I would probably pay someone like the quirkiest person I could find for just like like to to be in a room and people come in and, and talk with this person, just like like mingle with weirdos <laughs> <laughs> museum. Um and, and just and just until that salary ran out. Like you could, you know, pay pay for a couple of years of of you know a few weird people <laughs> weirdos. mingle weird, weirdos. Uh, the weird museum I uh, went to was the National Mustard Museum. So we were on vacation in Louisville and uh and my wife loves mustard i i, I hate was wondering mustard. whose idea this mustard. was but my wife to build it or go to it to
1: go to it well to build it i mean it's probably like where it's made or something i but don't like, know
2: it, they, they didn't actually explain it was just like there it is like we're gonna go do it and so my kids love mustard but they have like thousands and thousands of variety of mustards and videos on the history of it it's just like is it's there like, like one little room? building there's a tasting room mm-hmm. like all sorts of stuff so you know we we went. Was I, it an
1: enjoyable experience, Clayton? Not,
2: not, well, in the in the sense of like, well, I did that thing that one time. You know, that was quirky yep. and weird. But I don't beautiful like beautiful
1: memories with your family.
2: Yes, yes, I have pictures on my phone of my my daughter with a you know human sized mustard bottle. And, you know, it's weird. <laughs> so that's that's what the
1: I got. The, the town next to where I'm from has a horseradish festival every year. So it's like. They, that's, the that's Horseradish Festival crying. and then it's the Mustard pain. Museum, it's really just like bitter in the South, it's, I think.
0: I'm pretty sure if Nikki was here, she would have already she, ended this, this segment. Would, of this adventure. would have wrapped up a long yeah. time ago. <laughs> Ferris, what are we doing? Uh, I want people that are listening to not only calculate the surface area of a million $1, 000, $1 000 bills, but also I'd like to hear which of these three museums would you actually go to? Clayton's museum, my museum, <laughs> or Lindsay's museum? <laughs> So, email us at podcast at BibleSavvy.com and tell us which museum you would visit. Today's text, we are in 1 Kings chapter 15. I am also the comma guy today. Man, the king so of non sequiturs. So Here we go. That wasn't a non sequitur. It's always what follows. It's always <laughs> it what <is>. follows. <laughs> it's, it's in the normal flow of our podcast episode. 1 Kings chapter 15, context setting this up. Uh, we, are, we have moved from David passing along the kingship to Solomon. And we're starting to realize that all of these kings were, well, not so good. And uh, as you may be aware from either doing the Bible-savvy reading or attending Clayton's Bible-savvy workshop or listening to our podcast episodes or watching a Bible project video on the book of First and Second Kings, uh, you are aware that this book... 1st and 2nd Kings is answering a question because the, the, the nation of Israel ends up in exile and they're answering the question, well, how did we get here? What went wrong? Mm. Is God done with us? And so what we're getting here is we're getting some, some sneak peeks into the lives of the various kings. And just for a little bit of historical context, the nation has been split into two. And so under Rehoboam, who was Solomon's son, uh, bad things happen. So you get, you get split into Southern Kingdom and Northern Kingdom. This is where it always got confusing to me when I first started reading the Bible because all along you're tracking with the nation of Israel. And all of a sudden you have Judah and Israel. Mm-hmm. And so it gets confusing. So just for, if you're confused with that at all, join the club. All of us were confused with that at one point. When the nation splits into two territories, the Southern territory that has Jerusalem is called Judah And the Northern kingdom or the Northern territory is referred to as Israel. Mm -hmm. So what you're getting in first and Kings is they're, they're kind of going through all the various Kings. And so sometimes it's talking about the King in the North or the King in the South. So King of Judah or King of Israel. Mm -hmm. Uh, And if you watch the Bible project video, I was never aware of this until I watched the Bible project video, that if you're keeping score of who's a good King and who's a bad King, uh, there are 20 Kings listed in Kings for the Northern Kingdom Israel and 20 kings in the southern kingdom Judah. And if you're asking the question, was the king good or bad based on whether or not they were uh, faithful to God's covenant, uh, got rid of idol worship, and you ask, well, oh, who's a good king and who's a bad king? The kings in the northern territory Israel all were bad. 0 for 20. <laughs> yeah, they're terrible. And the kings in the southern kingdom Judah are about eight for 20 based on the Bible project Mm -hmm. video. Okay, so depending on how you judge. So this will be a fun game to play today. So we're reading in 1 Kings 15 verses, uh, starting at verse nine. So we're gonna read about a king from Judah. And so this will be interesting question, good king or bad king? So Clayton's gonna read for us today. All right, here we go,
2: starting in verse nine. In the 20th year of Jeroboam, king of Israel, Asa became king of Judah, and he reigned in Jerusalem 41 years. His grandmother's name was Makah, daughter of Abishalom. Asa did what was right in the eyes of the Lord as his father David had done. He expelled the male shrine prostitutes from the land and got rid of all the idols his ancestors had made. He even deposed his, gran- his grandmother Makah from her position as queen mother because she had made a repulsive image for the worship of Asherah. Asa cut down and burned it in the Kidron Valley. Although he did not remove the high places, Asa's heart was fully committed to the Lord all his life. He brought into the temple of the Lord the silver and gold and the articles that he and his father had dedicated. There was a war between Asa and Baasha, the king of Israel, through their reigns. Baasha, king of Israel, went up against Judah and fortified Ramah to prevent anyone from leaving or entering the territory of Asa, king of Judah. Asa then took all the silver and gold that was left in the treasuries of the Lord's temple and his own palace. He entrusted it to his officials and sent them to Ben-Hadad, son of uh, Tabramon, the son of Hezion, king of Aram, who was ruling in Damascus. Let there be a treaty between me and you, he said, as there was between my father and your father. See, I'm sending you a gift of silver and gold. Now break your treaty with Baasha, king of Israel, so he will withdraw from me. Ben-Hadad agreed with King Asa and sent the commanders of his forces against the towns of Israel. He conquered Aijon, Dan, Abel, Beth, Mekah, and all of Kinnereth in addition to Naphtali. When Baasha heard this, he uh, stopped building Ramah and withdrew to Tirzah. Then King Asa issued an order to all Judah. No one was exempt and they carried away from Ramah the stones and timber Baasha had been using there. With them, King Asa built up Geba and Benjamin and also Mizpah. As for all the other events in Asa's reign, all his achievements, all he did and all the cities he built... Are they not written in the book of the annals of the kings of Judah? In his old age, however, his feet became diseased. When Asa rested with his ancestors and was buried with them in the city of his father, David, and Jehoshaphat, his son, succeeded him as king.
0: Man, you did a good job with all those names. I but we have no idea. We have no names. idea.
1: We're just gonna say you're totally right. Good yeah. job, Clayton.
0: Yeah. Excellent job. He read it with confidence. Okay, <laughs> so we move on to the O and the comma method, which is observations. What do you see in this text?
1: I think the first thing I see is just all of the family dynamics that are listed. Um, They're always talking about, you know, they specifically mention grandmother, daughter of, son of, um, and even when they talk to the, he talks to the king, he's like, you had a relationship with my father. So, you know, there's all these family dynamics that are listed. Um, We know who's in relation to who all over the place. So that, that stood out to me as something that's probably significant as far as, you know, at least the context of what we're looking at.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, 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 I like that observation. It, uh, I noticed, too, that there's a lot of deciding what to do, mm-hmm. even with your, your family. So, there's, there's some legacy things here. So, he, mm-hmm. I mean, he takes his grandmother and deposes her. You know, that's kind of a, a, you know, a bold thing, right? In She's like a, a pretty intense,
1: mother. humiliating way, yeah. too. He like destroys her stuff.
2: He just yeah he destroys her stuff, <laughs> and then um, it even says like when it talks about him getting rid of the idols, mm-hmm. it talks about the ones that his ancestors had made. Mm-hmm. But then he's also got stuff where he like takes gold and silver that were dedicated to the Lord from his father. So there's like he's he's grappling with the good and the bad mm-hmm. of the that family that has come before him.
0: Mm-hmm. One of the things I noticed. I started to notice it when it was talking about comparing him to David. He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord as his father David had done. Mm -hmm. And often when I read those kinds of statements, you kind of want to say someone is all good or all bad, Mm -hmm. right? So you say, so this king is an all good king, just like David was an all good king, but it doesn't say all good, just as he did what was right in the eyes of the Mm -hmm. Lord, generally speaking, but we also know David's story. Yeah, David wasn't an all all
1: good king either.
0: And then it also said, I'm trying to find the verse right now where it says he, he tried to do everything right, except he didn't tear down. Oh, there it verse is. 14. Uh, verse 14. Although he did not remove the high places, mm-hmm. which are like the, the places that were set up significantly for idol worship. Mm-hmm. So he smashed these idols and, and got rid of some things. But didn't quite go all the way with mm-hmm.
1: it, yeah, follow through is not his his forte at all because there's multiple places where it's you know he did not get rid of the uh, high places, and then he had this silver and gold that then was dedicated to the temple, and then all of a sudden he takes it back and moves it
2: yeah and you and uses it to pay like essentially buy an alliance yeah, like okay, instead of keeping it with God, I'm gonna like pay this other king mm-hmm. to come come save my butt yeah. So, so he's
1: like, I started to do a good thing and then
2: I kind of stopped got hard. Then and it, it got then, hard. Then there was something Volatility
1: more pressing. Follow through is not his, his, his best uh, thing.
0: So if, if first and second Kings is begging us to ask the question, good king or bad king? And it tells us in verse 11 that this king did what was right in the eyes of the mm-hmm. Lord, but it doesn't say this king did everything right.
1: Mm-hmm. So
0: there's a difference between those two things, getting it perfect or having a disposition in your heart to want to do the right thing. Mm-hmm. So that was, that was my main observation. Mm-hmm. What else do you guys see?
1: Um, I noticed an imbalance between actions and heart. Um, so it talks about his heart. He, you know, he has a heart to do what's right in the eyes of the Lord. Um, and it talks about the, the kind of his intentions were good, but his actions didn't totally meet that. You know, he, has, he is right in the eyes of the Lord, um, just as David, his father, has done, but he didn't do this. And he also, you know, took stuff out of the temple, which seems to be maybe not exactly what you would do if you really had a heart to do what God um, is seeking for you to do. So, there's kind of an a inequality between the actions of this king and what we are told God sees in his heart.
2: Yeah, I I noted a, a footnote in uh, the study Bible that talks about the uh, version of the story in Chronicles. So, mm-hmm. um, in the Old Testament, there are two accounts of the history of the kings of Israel, um, and one's Kings and one's Chronicles, and... Uh, in general, Chronicles paints a, a, a more positive picture, is trying to give the, the admirable things about the kings. Mm-hmm. And K- Kings is tending to show the harder things. It, it's interesting, though, in this case, it includes a more negative detail about mm-hmm. Asa that isn't in here. Uh, that when he goes to make this treaty with the with the you know uh, Ben um it actually says there's like a prophet or whatever who says. Why'd you do that? Didn't didn't you trust God? You mm-hmm. know, like why'd you go to this you know outside party to defend you uh, rather than trusting God? So there's definitely that kind of mixed. Mm-hmm. You know, am I going to follow through on this? Do I really trust? Like, am I all the way there? When push comes to shove, will my actions reflect that sort of thing? Mm-hmm. So I see that too. I I I was intrigued by the um the description of the uh the idol that was made by the queen mother. It talks about a repulsive image mm-hmm. for the worship of Ashra, and so i was i was actually thinking about that and you can actually kind of google pictures of things that were used for Ashra, um and they're not necessarily like physically ugly you know what i mean they're, yeah, they're, they're just like statues a- Ancient humans, statues right yeah. but uh I, the the use of the adjective repulsive struck me because um you know i don't i don't know that we feel that sense of like mm-hmm. disgust when worship is taken from god like that that that's like a like, I know we're supposed to offer our worship to God. And when we give our hearts to something other than him, that's a sin. Mm-hmm. But at the gut level, I think sometimes it's hard for us to feel like, oh, like that's repulsive. Yeah, you know that's what I mean? a to, strong word. To say yes. what ought to belong to God is being given to something else or what's being honored in the place mm-hmm. of God is should, you know, they wouldn't have found it disgusting they would have they would have felt like this is a reasonable thing in our mm-hmm. culture um, but to say actually to, to take uh, honor from God and give it to something mm-hmm. else should make us sick to our stomach in some way mm-hmm. you know um, it's just a different kind of feeling than I'm used to fe- feeling about that
1: mm-hmm. yeah that's a super intense word choice I think there's lots of uh, mentions of cunning politics in here too <laughs> and I think that's really um, just part of the dynamic of the story because if you look at what the king of Israel was doing, he's, he's actually creating a closed border so that the people in his community and his country cannot get into Judah to then see what is happening in Judah. So, he's intentionally creating this closed border to prevent access between the countries. And then Asa goes and basically goes behind and does something super sneaky and super cunning by buying off this king and saying, "Hey, remember us? We had you you had a relationship with my father." And then he gets him to break a treaty in order to get what he needs, which is basically an someone else to distract this king of Israel. And then he goes and takes all the stuff that he had been using to build that wall and then actually uses it then to build like and fortify his own country. So he like cunningly sneaks around this king that thinks he's doing something sneaky and then ends up using it to like better his country. So it's super cunning and super tricky. And I think it makes the dynamic between the two countries even more interesting. Yeah.
2: And when you when you consider that these are our brothers, essentially mm-hmm. like that these are this is this is not like well, then, those you know Assyrians or whatever or whatever, doing something. This is like people who are meant to be unified. Mm-hmm. One of the one of the things that's uh, worth noting: the reason the Northern Kingdom didn't want people to go to the Southern Kingdom is because that's where the temple was, mm-hmm. and so they assumed that if you if you are worshiping the Lord, like if the, if there's still some part of you that says we want him instead of other gods, you if you go and say the way place we're supposed to worship is in Jerusalem then your political loyalty will also shift there and then it will undermine the power of the Kings of the North. And mm-hmm. so the Kings of the North were always setting up, even for people who are worshiping the Lord, alternate places to do that. To the
1: point where they had like calves and stuff, yeah, they right? Yeah, calves places. to represent
2: God and so on. Um, so they were trying to keep the religious power with mm-hmm. them, even though the, the technical center of the religion
0: was in the South. Mm-hmm. Political maneuvering, mm-hmm. treaties, weak treaties- walling off territories mm-hmm. redistributing supplies to build up settlements and to fortify your city does this sound like anything that might still be going on today the world hasn't changed much mm-hmm. yeah and particularly in that region of the world yeah mm-hmm. it's a it's a conflict that just keeps on and on and on and on you want me to keep doing it i'd love it yeah no okay <laughs> so what other observations
1: I was struck by, well, I was, I thought this was curious, um, kind of, I guess, in the surprising category, um, is the random uh, mention that in his old age, however, his feet became diseased. Yeah. Like, what's the story with that, Clayton? What do you
2: um, got? So, I, 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 you know, I didn't check the, the footnotes, but I, I had learned this at some other time. So, I don't know if it's something that uh, people could find easily or not, um, but it comes down to his son, Jehoshaphat if you actually look at the time when their reigns start, they mm-hmm. overlap by about three years. And so it's probably a clarifying detail to say, this is why before the mm-hmm. first king died, the new king started. Um, but there's also something suggestive. Um, it, it's not always true. So don't don't make this a rule. But oftentimes when people uh, come down with illness or have some sort of ailment that strikes them suddenly in the Bible, sometimes it is a... Uh, yeah, uh, uh, Indication that maybe God's not as happy mm-hmm. with them. Now, again, we know that there are lots of times this is not a rule. Mm-hmm. People get sick, people get hurt. It is has nothing to do with whether they sinned or whatever. But in a book like Kings, where you're seeing a lot of um, tangible punishment, essentially, mm-hmm. you know, outcomes from God, um, that sort of detail is a little bit suggestive to say maybe things were not all well yeah. with this king. God's favor th- was th- lost. There's, there's something there. Mm-hmm. Maybe, maybe not, but it's it makes you, it puts a little question mark in your mind that you go back and you look at him and say, was he as consistent as we'd like to think? Mm-hmm. And we've already seen the answer is, is no, not really. So um, it's probably explaining the historical detail, but there's also a little bit of literary, like maybe this guy wasn't... Perfect. Yeah, it <laughs> you know? just feels
1: like a curious detail considering the fact that we're talking about political alliances and moving of blocks. And all of a sudden it's like, oh, and his feet got diseased when he got old. And I was like, yeah. there's something there. There's a reason that was put in there.
2: There are so few physical descriptions of characters exactly. in the Old Testament that it's often evocative when you get mm-hmm. a physical description.
1: Yeah.
0: So what you we've learned on the podcast episode today is if the Bible starts talking about someone's feet, that there is significance there. mm mm-hmm. The Bible doesn't just be talking about people's feet. <laughs> Not usually. Yeah, yeah. That's actually true. <laughs> uh, <laughs>
2: I think
1: if anyone ever starts talking about L- anyone's feet, it sorry. usually uh, means something. So, so, Lindsay was so. giving
0: me the side eye on that, but she is sitting <laughs> between me and Clayton, so... There's it's only early, side eyes right only, now. Only, only it's only way. side eyes for both of you right uh, now. So in the NIV study Bible, if you ever get confused when you're reading through Kings or Chronicles, and you're like, who mm-hmm. is this talking about? What kingdom am I in? Mm-hmm. What king am I talking about? There is a chart of all of the Kings mm-hmm. that just lays it out for you. So when you get confused, who overlapped when, who was the King in Judah when this King was in the North. So that's why a good study Bible is helpful because it has lots of tools in it mm-hmm. uh, that will help you understand what you're reading. Question, Clayton or Lindsay. Do we have the annals of the kings of Judah?
2: We do not. We do not. Bummer. No. So there, there. this is a really interesting thing. When you look at, uh, the, especially uh, Chronicles and Kings, but you also see it in Samuel and Joshua and a few other places, there are references to books that we mm-hmm. don't have. So um, most writing happened in uh, political courts or in temples. Those are usually the only people who knew how to write long works. So there were records kept uh, you know, of the nation. And those were ones that at the time that, kings was written the author of kings could refer to but mm-hmm. we no longer have so they're not things that we're out there looking for they wouldn't technically be scripture even if we did find them mm-hmm. um but they were it's it's They'd he's be, like, citing his historical of documents mm-hmm. like a historical, political document
1: yeah. that any any yeah. government would any organized government would have exactly do you have yeah.
0: pieces of them anywhere
2: uh none of the ones that are referenced in the old testament no bummer
1: maybe you could put that in your museum if you find it
2: That would be incredible,
1: actually.
0: (laughs) I don't know if I have space in my museum because I need someone to email in and tell me. We (laughs) we don't know how much much surface area (laughs) a million dollar bills (laughs) takes up. Gosh, I can't can't be adding wings yet. (laughs) All right, so let's move on to the M and the comma method, which is interchangeable. You can either go with message first or meditation first. Today, we're going to go with meditation first because this is another one of those passages where it may not be readily apparent what kind of message you wanna draw out of the text. So in those kinds of moments, you just pause for a few moments when you're reading your Bible and you ask the spirit of the Lord, what would you like me to get out of this text? What do you wanna speak to me today? So we're gonna do that today. 45 seconds of prayerful thinking, Lord, what would you like me to see in this text today? Okay, so now we move on to the second M in the comma method, which today is message. What message are we going to draw from the text?
1: Um, so, one of the things that I saw is that uh, our own cunning or our own sought, like seeking for gain can blind us uh, spiritually. Because that's what I see. Um, and I think that's part of the dynamic that you talked about um, at the end where... Was everything as we thought it would be, and we kind of see some of this follow through. And um, I think what the legacy could have been was the, you know, destruction of these high places and the, the dedication of the silver and gold to the temple, and really trusting the Lord to do um, the work of the prospering of Judah. And instead the legacy was like, I did this backhanded deal. And so instead of trusting the Lord, his own kind of gain, his own like social uh, need to cling to some sort of like legacy as people saw it ended up um, kind of creating like a falling of the temple resources because now all the silver and gold that was dedicated to the Lord is now no longer there. He's actively demonstrated a... Um, a mistrust of God to prosper his kingdom. And so his own cunning and his own striving for a legacy actually like bound him to um, not engage in a spiritual and trusting way with God. So his own kind of self-motivation.
2: My message is, if you're gonna follow God, make sure you go all the way.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: So I, I I think I I don't want to knock Asa too much. He he was an overall good king. Um, and it does say even though he didn't do certain things, he his heart was fully committed to the Lord all his life. So there there was a a faithfulness there. But there is there's something to be said for following through on that mm-hmm. faithfulness of saying if I if, if I mean it that I want God to be at the center of my life. If Jesus is the King, if you know this is my the one I worship, um, then it should have ripple effects that don't like like I think of when, um, my kids clean their room, like <laughs>
1: your kids you, clean their room. Good job.
2: <laughs> well, they're sort of like the Kings of Judah, like <laughs> eight out of 20 times. Right.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so, like a ratio still.
2: so, uh, you know, it was like yesterday we had, when they need to clean up there, you know, someone's going to come over. So I need to be tidy enough that things get broken and they, they cleaned up more or less. Like it was, you know, kind, they did it. They didn't not do it. Um, but there are lots of little things that were lying around and like stuff that wasn't put away. And you you kind of walk through like, well, what about this? What about there's just a little bit more guys. It's just a little bit more. Mm -hmm. I think there are, um, especially for people who are, have have been Christians for a while. Mm -hmm. Like you might start off with a zeal to be like, let's get this right. But then you get okay with the things around the fringes that are actually the sort of things that persist and nag and become a thorn in your side. If you don't deal with them. And so Mm -hmm. I think, um, I think if you're, if you're going to follow Jesus, go all the way.
0: My message is that sometimes an emphatic "no is a very holy thing. Hmm. Ooh, so. Explain that one. So as he's expelling the pagan worship and knocking down shrines, he's saying no to that.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: because what he's saying yes to is worship of the one true God.. Mm which in our culture gets very tricky because we we live in this weird culture right now where on one hand it's being shouted from the rooftops. Who are you to judge anything? Whatever's good for somebody is good for somebody. Mm -hmm. Don't be, don't be judgmental. Don't be a hater, right? Whatever someone wants to be or do or Mm -hmm. say, it's good. And we also live in cancel culture. Mm -hmm. So it's like, I don't understand how both of those things can coexist. Like Mm -hmm. everybody's right. And everyone should just be able to choose their own way and we're canceling things left and right. Mm-hmm. That doesn't make any sense to me. But here you have a king who is in a very complicated situation, in a very complicated culture, and there are certain things that he's identified to say no, no, this is not pleasing to the Lord. And so I think sometimes an emphatic no can be a very holy thing. Mm-hmm. All right, so we're going to move on to the A in the comma <laughs> method, which is application. <laughs> You can't laugh, <laughs> laugh at application. I wasn't doing a good job hosting right there, everybody. I forgot about the A and the comma like, method. We're done. Uh, I oh, think that's it. Both, both Lindsay <laughs> and Clayton are staring at me like, hey, move on to the A. I mean,
1: we can we can continue making messages. If I've got other things written down.
0: You do have things written down. All right. A, application. How are you going to apply this uh, text to your life today?
1: Uh, I think based on my m- the message that I pulled out of it is... Being intentional about checking my heart for the motivation behind something. When I'm doing something, why am I doing it? Am I doing it because I really think this is what God is calling me to or what I have wisely discerned is the right move in a situation or a right perspective to hold? Or am I doing it for my own selfish gain because I don't trust what God actually could and should and would be doing in that situation? So, I think looking at any situation and saying, my motivation here. Might still, I might still have the same action, but if my heart is not in the right place, then the fruit that comes out of it could be really messy and um, potentially destructive, and minimally demonstrates, you know, in my own relationship with God, that I do not have full trust in God's action in something, and at its worst, could actually be devastating like removing all the silver and gold from the temple. You know what I mean? My What is my silver and gold that I'm now, instead of leaving this legacy or making the move in a way that demonstrates my own faith, uh, either in myself or to other people, I'm now using my own motivation to get what I want. And it could have just devastating ramifications. So I think checking my heart for why I'm doing something is really important
2: so for my message uh if you're gonna follow god go all the way um i think the practice of um sometimes it's called the practice of examine it's where you invite god mm-hmm. to actually show you all right where are the things that i'm missing that i like you, you do it you say at the end of the day or the end of the week you look back and you say god show me the places where i stepped out of line with you that I, the where instead of walking in the spirit, I was, you know, doing my own thing mm-hmm. um or, or the things that maybe I've grown accustomed to and used to, um you want to, you want to be the parent who walks into the, the messy room and says, well, there's a few more things here.
1: Yeah. What are my fringes? What are,
2: what are the, what's on the fringe? And ra- rather than saying, well, I'm kind of okay. Say, no, what are, what are those, those things on the margin that I've, I've grown accustomed to? Um, and we we talked about this about a, a, a month or so ago in um, at our at our church uh, our senior pastor talked about this prayer um, you know in in Psalm 19 there's you know who can discern their hidden faults mm-hmm. you actually need God to show you some of those things that you've grown blind to and so I think the practice of stopping and saying what is it God is a really good one for for this passage
0: mm-hmm. my application based on my message of sometimes an emphatic no can be a very holy thing is when you are engaged in that, don't expect grandma to be happy with you. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't think that this king's grandmother was super thrilled that she was deposed as queen mother. Yeah. Um, and so sometimes to make the holy choice means that there's going to be no one applauding your mm-hmm. choice. Yeah, And you have to make that choice for the audience of one mm-hmm. and not expect any, anything else,
2: mm-hmm. sometimes.
0: Well, so, because that
1: can be really hard, and Jesus yeah. had to do that all the time. He had to walk away from whole towns that still wanted him to stick around and heal, and he's like, I have to go to Jerusalem. Yeah. I have to go here. And so, it really is the holy holy choice, and I'm sure people didn't love the, like, hey, we're still sick. Can you stay? Yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. All right, folks. Well, that's all we have for you today. This is the point of the episode, as the fill-in host, where I try to say everything that Nikki says to wrap up every podcast episode. So, join us next week as we discuss another another text from the Bible Bible? Savvy reading schedule (laughs) 4 seconds Uh, everyone uh, if you want to contact us you can email us at podcast at biblesavvy.com tweet Instagram Facebook most of those things are not true I don't know know. (laughs) she says something about subscribing inviting your friends
1: share this podcast with a friend that you think they might like it
0: and follow our podcast And hopefully, Nikki will be back with us (laughs) next episode. (laughs) See you next week, everyone.